in January of this year, a guy called Brian Hawkins, he walked into a TV station in Redding, California, and asked to speak to a reporter. On camera, Brian said that he was on his way to the police station to confess to the murder of 19-year-old Frank McAllister, 25 years previously. The police had investigated this crime, but had not been able to uncover what had happened. And although he'd got away with the crime, Brian said that for the past 25 years, his life had just been horrible. I've been through hell the whole of my life because of this, he said. Every minute of every day has been a nightmare. Finally, he said that he could no longer live with the guilt. And so he decided to come forward and face the crime that he tried to hide for 25 years. On Psalm 32, David, he wrote about a similar kind of experience. We don't know what he'd done wrong at this time, but in this psalm he expressed the weight of unconfessed sin in his life. And the blessing that he experienced when he finally confessed his sin to God. And so throughout this psalm, David encourages us not to try and hide from God. So we're going to read this psalm together. Psalm 32, I'm going to read from verse 1 down to the end, verse 11. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In this psalm, David looked back at a time when, I, when he said, when I kept silent. This was a time when he refused to confess his wrongdoing, and instead he tried, as he said, to cover up my iniquity. 
Now, some people think that this relates to the time when David committed adultery with a married woman called Bathsheba and then murdered her husband to cover up the resulting pregnancy. For a whole year, David tried to cover up that sin until finally it was uncovered by the prophet Nathan. But there's no indication in this psalm that this is the situation that he's thinking about. All he does here is use three biblical words to describe his wrongdoing. So in verse 5 he says, My iniquity, which is about straying from God's path. My sin, which is about falling short of God's standard. And then my transgressions, which is about rebelling against God's authority. My iniquity, my sin, my transgressions. Straying from God's path, falling short of God's standard, and rebelling against God's authority. But whatever the situation that David was thinking about when he wrote this psalm, I think we can all understand David's desire to hide his iniquity, his sin, and his transgressions. I think it's such an an instinctive response when we do something wrong. It's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they committed the first sin in this world. When God called out to them, Adam replied, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. They tried to hide from God and then they tried to hide by blaming each other and also the serpent to avoid their responsibility. In Jesus' day, probably the people who were most guilty of this were the Pharisees. Most people in in that day would have described the Pharisees as good people. And yet Jesus saw through the religious respectability. And he saw them trying to hide the reality of their sin. So he said to them in Matthew chapter 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. They were trying to hide the reality of their sin. And I think we can also fall into the same attitude in our lives. I think we so dislike the shame and the guilt when it comes to admitting our wrong that we'll do anything that we can to hide from it. So maybe we try and cover up the evidence of our sin, hoping that that will prevent anybody from being able to see what we've done wrong. Or we try and dodge our responsibility by blaming other people. Our parents. Our upbringing. Our society. Or anybody else that we can think of for what we've done wrong. Or we try and minimise our guilt by excusing our actions or our attitudes. 
Or we might try and deny our guilt by calling what is evil good and what is good evil. Changing the whole standard so that that means that we're off the hook. Or we might even viciously attack others who are guilty of the very same sins. Because then, hopefully, everybody will be so caught up in their sins that they'll not be able to see what we've done wrong. Or we might try and hide behind that mask of respectability. Looking the part of someone whose life is upright and decent. And so today, we could come to church trying to hide our sinfulness. Dodging our responsibility. Minimising our guilt. Hiding behind that exterior of just looking the part. And really, sitting here, singing these songs, getting involved in the service, nobody would ever know. Well, nobody apart from God. David tried to hide his sin. But he couldn't hide it from God. And as a result, David's guilt was revealed in the pain of unconfessed sin. He vividly described the impact this had on him. For example, in verse 3, he said, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Bones, I think, are, are used as a kind of picture of his whole physical structure. So to say his bones were wasting away was just to say that his whole body was just worn out. That was because it was of his never-ending groaning. The deep, unspoken cry of anguish in his heart. And this just completely drained David's energies. He says in verse 4, My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Like a man walking through the desert with the sun beating down on his head and his mouth completely dry. David was just shattered. David was just exhausted. He just felt he couldn't go another step. But I think it's really important to notice why David felt like that. Because this was not just the impact of David's guilty conscience. This was not just something that David produced in himself with his feeling of guilt. This was actually the work of God in his life. See this in verse 4? For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. God was working severely on David. God was reminding him of his faults. God was weighing him down with his guilt. God was convicting him of his sin. And God continues to do this today. It's actually one of the the vital ministries of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he said about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the crucial ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Is to point the finger and say, you are guilty. 
And the experience of this can be overwhelming. It can be exhausting. We can experience this in our mind, in our emotions, and, as here with David, even in our bodies. But I think it's really important to notice that God does not do this because he hates us. He doesn't do this out of bitterness for all the wrong things we've done. Hebrews chapter 12 actually quotes from the book of Proverbs and it says this, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. The disciplining hand of God is an expression of love for us. Because God loves us too much to leave us happy in our sin. Because he knows that the consequences of that unconfessed sin are far too great. He doesn't want us to remain hiding our sin. He doesn't want us to remain in that situation until the day of judgment. And so in love he puts his hand heavy upon us. To reveal the depths of our sinfulness. So that we can turn to him and receive his forgiveness. God did not put his hand on David because he hated him. And said God put his hand on David because he loved him. And he desperately wanted him to come out of hiding. Into the open. So that he could experience the blessing of full and free forgiveness. And that's what David eventually did. Look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Instead of trying to hide his sin, David comprehensively revealed it to God. He admitted that he'd fallen short of God's standard. He stopped trying to cover up his straying from God's path. He owned up to his rebellion against God's authority. From trying to conceal his wrongdoing from God, he stepped out into the light of God's presence and confessed it to the Lord. And did you see the amazing result of this? When David hid his sin, his sin was revealed. When David revealed his sin, his sin was hidden. Psalm 5, Psalm 32, verse 5. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When David tried to hide his sin, God responded by putting his hand heavy upon David to reveal his guilt. But when David revealed his sin, God responded by taking that guilt from David and lifting it completely from him. David was burdened when he tried to conceal his sin, but he was blessed when he confessed it. And it's with this blessing that he started this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
that we've already seen in the, in the Psalms as we've been going down through a number of them, how the psalmist describes the blessing that God wants to bring into our lives. The deep and lasting joy of those who are in right relationship with God. Psalm 1 described the blessing of those who reject the way of the world. So, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Then Psalm 2 described the blessing of those who accept the Messiah as their king. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And then Psalm 24 described the blessing of all those who come to the Lord in holiness. He will receive a blessing from the Lord. But these blessings are not for good people. They're not for people who think they've lived a good life and who've earned God's favour. That's because if it was, then none of us would be blessed. Because as David, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. <coughs> Instead, this blessing is for guilty, rotten sinners who have come to God for his gift of outrageous grace. When Paul quoted from Romans chapter 30, uh, from uh, Psalm 32, this, this psalm, he said that David, in this psalm, was speaking about the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. This is the blessing, Paul says, this is the blessing of the gospel of grace. Those who receive it, they are credited righteousness. They are given righteousness apart from anything that they have done. Their sins are removed from their record. They are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Our sins, they are, they, they are separated from our record. They're separated from us. And instead, God imputes. He gives us righteousness. He declares that we are righteous in His sight. He removes our sin from our record and instead declares that we are perfect in His sight. And so this blessing this blessing of righteousness, complete, full, free righteousness, is for those in whose spirit is no deceit. It's for those who come honestly to God. It's for those who come openly and humbly before a holy God, admitting the guilt of their sin. Repenting of their rebellion. And if they do this, then they can be fully and freely declared righteous in God's sight. This is the wonderful grace of God. But how is it possible? How could God just do that? How can he just take away that sin record from us and instead give us a record of perfect righteousness? How could God be just and at the same time justify 
the guilty? Well, I think the answer is hinted at in verse 1 here. When David said, blessed is he whose sins are covered. Whose sins are covered. The Mosaic law pictured this through the sacrificial system. And an animal would be brought into the tabernacle, which that is a kind of a model of. And that animal would become the sinner's substitute. And that animal would die in the place of the sinner. And the blood of the animal that was spilled would then provide atonement, which means literally would cover, would cover over that person's debt before God and reconcile them to God. So the animal sacrifice would provide atonement, would cover over their sin. But of course, that couldn't really happen. No animal sacrifice could really cover someone's sin. Hebrews chapter 10 says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The weight of our sin is too great for any animal to cover even an animal as fine as a howling cow. That's what it is. So these Old Testament sacrifices, they weren't actually covering sin. They weren't actually providing atonement. Instead, they were a shadow pointing forward. Pointing forward to Jesus. The ultimate sacrifice that would cover over our sin. And so John writes in 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, and hopefully all the teenagers remember this verse, because we were looking at it last week in our Bible study, that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the, the sacrifice that covers over our sin. He came to be our substitute. On the cross our sins were placed on him and he died in our place and this precious blood covers over our sin. His sacrifice paid our debt. And that's why John can write these amazing words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's what this psalm's all about. When we try and hide our sin, God will reveal them. But when we confess our sins to God, they will be covered over. They will be hidden by the atoning blood of Christ. As Proverbs 28 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses his sin and renounces them finds mercy. So what should be our response be to all of this, folks? So what? What should we do about this? Well, 
In the light of David's experience here, there are three things I want to mention that come after this word therefore in verse 6, if you see that. Therefore, as a result of this, so what? Well, first of all, we need to come to Jesus. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. This offer of forgiveness is not going to be available forever. It's only while he may be found. God's grace will not be offered indefinitely. One day it will be too late. And all that's going to remain is God's judgment for sin. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can have our sins forgiven. And so if we haven't already, then we need to come to Jesus humbly, admitting our sinfulness, asking for his forgiveness. And the prayer of repentance and faith will lead to full and free forgiveness. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we do, then we can rest in his salvation. Then we can say, like with David, Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach me. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And surround me with songs of deliverance. This is the amazing gift that Jesus wants to give us. When we try and protect ourselves by hiding our sin, then we will ultimately have to face God's judgment. But if we come to Jesus and confess our sin, then He will be our hiding place. He will be our place of eternal safety. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But forgiveness is not the end of what God wants to do in our life. He doesn't want to just forgive us, or forgive our sin, so then we can just go off and live any old way. Instead, a prayer of forgiveness should lead, a, lead to a life of obedience. So David says, do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Jesus doesn't want us to just stubbornly demand our own way unless he forces us to obey. Said Jesus wants us in that place of eager submission to his lordship in our lives. Eager obedience. And if we do, then his promise in verse 8 is, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. What an amazing promise that we can rely on, that we can rest in. If we're willing to let Jesus be Lord of our life, if we're willing to let him guide and direct us, he will be our ultimate counselor, training us, teaching us, guiding us, watching over us, helping us to live out this transformed life that he has called us to. And so thirdly, instead of anxiety and groaning and the weakness and exhaustion of those who try and hide their sin from God, instead God wants us to be able to rejoice in him. This psalm finishes with an amazing declaration of praise. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all of you who are upright in heart. If we've experienced the forgiveness of God, then no matter what is happening in our lives, 
we have reasons for rejoicing. Because we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our transgressions have been forgiven. Our sins have been covered. Our iniquity will never be reckoned against us. This is the blessing of everybody who comes to Jesus instead of trying to hide or sin from Him. So David says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. So folks, if we try and hide our sins from God, Sooner or later, they will be revealed by God and we will face judgment for them. But if we reveal our sin to God, if we come to Him for salvation, then our sins will be covered by the precious blood of Jesus. And we can be hidden in Christ and counseled by Christ. And we can be surrounded by the unfailing love. Christ. Psalm 32 encourages us to respond to our sin by not trying to hide them but by coming openly and confessing them to God so that we can enter into the blessing of those whose sin is forgiven.